Welcome back to the Home Girls with Degrees podcast. Today we'll be recording another Cafecito y Cuentos episode with our special guest, Miriam Delgado. Miriam is currently enrolled in a doctoral program which focuses on higher education at a University of California. Uh, Miriam will be sharing more about her journey and her achievements. We hope you obtain insight, motivation, and hope through her story. Um, actually, Miriam and um, Elsie and I went to grad school together. Um, not the same program, but we were at Cal State Long Beach together. So that's kind of where we met. And we love hearing about her story. Um, it's very inspirational. And so we'll hear about it all about today. So um, first question in interviewing her, um, please tell me about your background. Where did you grow up? What were some values that you were instilled Thank you, ladies, for having me um, in the podcast. Um, my name is Miriam Delgado. I was born in Colima, Mexico, so I'm originally from Mexico. And um, at the age of five, my family decided to um, come to the U.S. So at five, we left our little pueblito um, in the state of Colima, and I lived for about a year in Puerto Vallarta, Jalisco with my mom's side of the family. Um, and we kind of made our migration or, you know, our journey to the U.S. since I was five. Um, I arrived in the U.S. when I was six years old, so in the early 90s. Um, and I lived in Southern California, where I've lived most of my life here in Southern California. Um, and, you know, some of the values that my family, mostly my mom instilled in me was, you know, having a strong work ethic um, and having determination. You know, it wasn't something that was really talked about, but through her actions, you know, it was instilled in me, you know, seeing her work um, six to seven days uh, out of the week to really make ends meet. Um, you know, she was determined to sacar adelante a sus hijos, sacar adelante a su familia, right? So it wasn't something that we really talked about. You know, these are the values that are expected from you, right? Or these are the values that I'm instilling in you. But, you know, through her work, they, you know, they stood out to me. And I think I've carried those things on, you know, um, and in my own personal and professional life. Yes, thank you for sharing that. Um, and then what made you pursue higher education? Um, we all have our own reasons and our own passions, but um, aside from like your own uh, background and reaching out to higher education, um, what was your experience in higher education? I know that can be a long answer um, to answer. <laughs> Yeah, thank you so much. So I think from an early age, you know, in the K-12 system, you know, at least um, from the schools that I went to, I was told, you know, you can go to college, right? You can go and pursue um, a professional degree and you do it by going to college, right? And so that stuck to me. Um when I was young, um, particularly particularly in one instance where 
you know, my elementary school um, took us to Cal State and they told us, do you see yourself here? Because you do belong to be here, right? And this was about like third or fourth grade. And it stuck to me, right? I was like, I do see myself here. Um, and that's when I was uh, living in Southern, um, in um, South Central. Um, and so I carried that, I carried that with me. Um, so when I got to high school, I realized, right, that um, I wanted to go um, to college. I didn't really know what I wanted to be or wanted to do, but um, I, you know, I, I just told my my counselors, right, I want to go to college. However, um, one of the, the main challenges was being undocumented. Um, and so I didn't know, I didn't, when I was young, like what it meant to be undocumented until I, I wasn't, I, like, I knew I was undocumented, right. But I didn't know what it meant to be undocumented. And so at that point, my counselor pulled me aside and said, and said, look, you don't, you're undocumented. It's really hard for you to go to get financial assistance to pay, um, for, a college education and so it would you know it became a challenge right so I was like okay I'll do whatever it takes to continue on um and so one of the challenges was you know applying for scholarships to go to you know to pay for for school um and so that was the main one but like in reality being undocumented was the main barrier and I think for me being undocumented has been at the forefront um, of the challenges I've experienced not only um, in education but in a personal and professional um, way for me um, and so it became really challenging because there was I went to or, you know, I found out that I couldn't go to college when in 2004, 2003, 2004. And so I was told, you know, you can also go to community college. But then I had already submitted my applications to go to Cal States and UCs. Um, and so I really didn't um, have the money to pay uh, for school. Um, and so I couldn't, and I also didn't expect my mom to help me pay for it because we were barely making ends meet, you know, with, with, um, what we had, right. I could, I, yo me sentí mal. I was like, con qué cara le voy a decir a mi mamá que me ayude o me pague la escuela. Like I can't, I can't ask of her. She's already doing more than enough for, for our family. Right. Um, and so that's when I, my counselor connected me to um, another student that was also undocumented. Um, and she, she was, I went to UC Davis. So she connected me to a student that was at UC Davis um, because she had already graduated from the same high school that we went to. And then um, when she connected us, I went to Davis and I met with her um, 
to see, you know, what were the resources, what could I do as an undocumented student to pay for school and be there and what were the challenges, right, that I would, um, that I needed to learn about in order for me to be a student there and continue on. Um, and so because of that, I, I was accepted to other universities, but that was mainly or like the main reason why I decided to go to UC Davis, because I knew of someone and I knew of other students that were undocumented there. Um, and so I that I left to UC Davis right out of uh, you know high school and but not I I left just with money to pay for the first year I didn't know how I was going to pay for the rest of the time there um, and I have a strong faith right so me fui dije no no sé cómo le voy a hacer pero este there's some way, somehow, you know, I'll work and I'll do whatever it takes to continue and pay for school and apply to scholarships um, because I had already applied for scholarships. I thought it was going to be easier, but it actually ended up being a little bit more harder than I expected. Um, I ended up working full time uh, while also being a student full time and also organizing back then because <clears throat> since I went to UC Davis um, from 2005 to 2009, um, there isn't a lot of resources. We only had AB 540 then, which allowed undocumented students to pay for in-state tuition. So there is no um, financial aid. So there's the, the California Dream Act wasn't in effect then. So every we had to pay everything out of pocket um, there was no DACA then, so we couldn't also work on campus or, you know, work anywhere, essentially. Um, so I had to find work um, under the table and then find other ways to work to pay for school, um, which ended up taking a big toll in my in my um, physical, <laughs> in my physical, emotional uh, and, and emotional uh, emotional life because it was so draining uh, working a full-time job while also going to school full-time mind you it was a UC too so the quarter system is at a much faster pace um, and it was 10 weeks right so by week seven you had to have everything and you had to get ready for finals um, the first year was okay but then the the year two to year four were very, very challenging for me. Um, and like I said, I was drained. By the end of it, I was really tired. <laughs> I was really drained from, you know, staying up late at night, pulling all-nighters, making sure, you know, not only to make ends meet, but also to pay for school. And then that's something that I really wanted. Um I did a double major in Spanish and Chicano studies with a minor in education because essentially I wanted to be a high school counselor. Um, and I wanted to continue a master's in education. But, you know, after coming out of undergrad, it was really challenging for me to like, uh, one, um, get the money again, um, find housing and try to make ends meet uh, too right to pay for for graduate school so 
I decided to leave that off to the side and find work. Um, and, and that's what I did, you know, for, for about six years um, until I, you know, DACA came about. And then, you know, we had um, in, um, financial assistance from the California Dream Act. Um, and then I decided to take on my studies to do my my master's. But that's it, it was it was a very challenging time um, because there wasn't any any support. Now we see, right, that there's more support. We have the like pantries at school when before there wasn't even that. Like, si no tenías dinero para pagar la escuela, perdón, para pagar la comida, no tenías. And that's it. Like, you had to just figure it out on your own. And there was times where, like, no tenía dinero. Like, I didn't have any money to pay, not even for food, right? So, you know, te aguantabas o te comprabas una maruchan and that's it. <laughs> wow. So I definitely, you know, being your, being a, a friend of yours for a few years now, I didn't know your story, like in such detail. So first of all, thank you for being so vulnerable and for sharing all of that, that you've, that you've been through and that you continue to go through. Um, and, you know, I think from your story, there's a lot of, there must be so many viewers, so many so many listeners out there that have the same, you know, the same story, like where they are undocumented, they don't have the resources that these American kids have, you know, or like me, for example, I have privilege because of my because I'm a citizen. And I really didn't even really see it like that until actually right now. <laughs> So I definitely, you know, I see you've been through so much to just obtain your, you know, your, 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 your bachelor's degree, and then your master's, and now you're doing your doctorate program. So I'm very proud of you. And I feel like we need to hear more of your, of, of your uh, story, just to get more clarity on how you overcame all of those obstacles, you know, that eventually uh, led you right to pursue a PhD program. So that brings us to the next question. We talked a lot about the barriers you had to overcome to make it to where you are today, which, which is, you know, you're in a, in a PhD program. So can you tell us about the process of applying to a PhD program? Do you have any advice on how we can even be competitive applicants, for instance, you know, maybe this is speaking more to undocumented students that want to get their PhD, but they don't know how they don't know the resources out there. So can you shine some light on this topic? Yeah, definitely. And I, I first want to begin by just letting everybody know that when I was an undergrad, um, just even the thought of like a PhD was something that seems so far like unachievable I was already having challenges as an undergrad like trying to pay for tuition trying to you know just make ends meet it seemed very far you know it, it was introduced to me by um a couple of mujeres um at Davis but I was like and mis sueños you know like that's something that's really far away you know but you know 
tenía la semillita plantada, right? So I was, you know, in hopes of, right, um, continuing in education, um, you know, I, you know, continue to seek for opportunities. And so one of the things that I um, ended up doing, so when I applied to a master's program, I was given the option of, you know, doing research, right? So we had the, um, I did my master's at Cal State Long Beach, and it was in the social culture analysis of education. I know that the title changed now, um, but, you know, I was given two options. I could do a written exam or I can do a, a, a thesis. And I was told if you do a thesis, you have more of an opportunity to apply to a PhD because you have a research experience. I There was a six-year gap for me. Um, and so I didn't have any other education or research experience for those six years. I was only working. And so given that opportunity, I wanted to take that on. So that's one of the things you know, that I would encourage people to do um, as undergrads, or if you're thinking about a PhD um, as a master student um, or a high school student, right? Um, but looking for research opportunities. And so I knew it was going to be a little bit longer for me to finish the program, but I was like, heck, you know, like I'm still going to be, you know, in the program. I'm still going to, you know, get, get, get the master's. So might as well just do the thesis. I'll get the research experience and then in hopes of applying to a PhD, even if I don't end up going to a PhD, you know, I, I have this experience that I can take with me. Right. So I always have this mentality of like doing trying to take on a little bit more for myself, you know, whether it's, you know, that research experience or like, you know, an emphasis in in a you know, it, like, for example, I did the minor in education, I really didn't have to do the minor in education, but I was like, in hopes of something, right. And guess what, I ended up doing the master's in education as well. So I was like, okay, so now that I'm in the master's in hopes of doing a PhD, I'm going to do the thesis. And guess what, I'm not doing the PhD, at, you know, right now. So everything has been in hopes of you know, achieving more that I've taken or I've done a couple of extra things that have paid off, right? The minor paid off and I did my master's in education. The thesis paid off and I'm doing my my PhD. I love that. So then you've definitely thought it out. <laughs> yeah, everything has been in hopes of, you yeah. know, porque como que para, para mí, como una estudiante indocumentada, like things have been challenging, right? And not they don't seem so achievable like la semillita la está plantada and if you continue to you know is that nurture it then you know things do come to fructition right like si, si salen and so for me it's been like kind of in hopes of porque no 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 sabía si iba a pasar um si si iba a obtener un doctorado um and to like I could say right now like I I'm still kind of um in like in shock I guess that's the like or a back of a, a lack of a better word <laughs> you know just trying to process right like 
I'm, I'm doing a doctoral right now a doctoral degree yeah and so it's been in hopes of uh doing that um without really knowing that it would come you know you know to to be you know something para que sea realidad um so in essence yeah like it, it was somewhat planned out you know pero no no sabía si realmente iba a pasar <laughs> Yes, and thank you for shining that data because there's only 1% of all Latinas obtain their doctorate degree. So obviously, you know, you're going to feel out of place in those spaces. You know, we're, we're going to feel very emotional because time and time again, we're not seen in those in those types of positions. So we really commend you for taking that step further right because time and time again we see that you've been wanting to achieve more to take on more challenges so where does that come from where does that drive come from and where do you want to be once you get your PhD like what's your future goal for once you graduate yeah I think you know I've always seen myself in education right and when I was organizing um you know at Davis, I knew that I wanted to work with college students and high school college students, right? Like making that transition, helping either assisting students to apply to college and get to college or work with college students. So I knew that the population that I wanna, wanted to work with was about this age range in education. Um, that's why at the beginning, I wanted to be a college counselor. Um, and so it started to shift, right? Because I started to see the inequities that undocumented students face. Um, but then realizing, yeah, it's challenging. It's way more challenging, right? For for some more than, more than others, right? And so where where do these things stem from, right? And so in the master's program, um, at Long Beach, we started to see that many students of color face many challenges because of racism um, and man, many of the other isms that there is, right? The lack of access that there is to students of color in the education trajectory. And so I wanted to um, be of service to college students and see how we can help um them and so for me um it, it has become like a life calling like how do I help students not only um make it to college right but um stay and graduate which is which should be our goal right not only make it like okay you know, you you made it, you're here, but a lot of the students in the education pipeline don't end up graduating. So how do we make more equitable spaces for students of color and disenfranchised backgrounds to graduate, right? Um, so it's been a long journey of like also self-reflection for myself and how do I bring myself into these spaces of like, I come from a, you know, disadvantaged background, yet I have a privilege within these spaces because of the power dynamics 
um, and now as a doctoral student, right, it comes with a lot of responsibility. And I think that for me, you know, working with um, undergrads, it's like, how do I become a gate opener rather than a gatekeeper for students? And how do I be of service to them um, so that they can continue on? Because these spaces were not meant for us. These spaces um, were not meant for undocumented um, female, you know, mothers, you know, um, to be in these spaces. And so the way I walk in um, is by carrying my identity. So that was for me very um, essential, you know. And and sometimes we're we're told, don't say that you're a mom. You know, don't say that you're undocumented. I've been told, you know, I've been told this several times, but I cannot show up into these spaces without letting people know who I am and, you know, where I come from, because without showing who you are and where you come from, like, no, no tienes direct, bueno, para mí, like, I I feel like I don't have a sense of direction of where I'm going or like what people should expect of me as a person, as a professional, as an educator. And so it's important um, to, to, to show up in these spaces fully, you know, who you are. I agree, Miriam. And um, I wanted, yes, thank you so much for sharing. We're learning so much. And like, I'm still kind of like, I wanted to backtrack a little bit because I felt like um, there's so much to share, like just as an undocumented student. And, you know, we're talking to you about like a PhD program. And earlier, I actually wanted to say, because you're saying, hey, I did, um, you know, I did an extra minor. And so um, I did some research, like all these things. Um, I feel like people get to plan it. But as like first generation, as an undocumented student, I'm sure it's just being as resourceful as you can. I would call it being resourceful <laughs> um, just because you don't even know where it ends you up, right? Like we as um, I, I myself as a child of immigrant, like anywhere I go, any space I take, I always see what can I make out of this? Like what is the most I can do? Since I'm already here, I can see how you were like an undergrad student and you were like, hey, I'm going to take advantage of this. But anyways, back to what I wanted to say, like, I'm like, just reflecting, and it's so much process, like, everything that you went through, um, all your, all the barriers, all the challenges, and I can only imagine timing that you went to undergrad school for, because I always knew, like, undocumented students, or people are not seen as humans as part of society. So like, you don't have access to education, you don't have access to, even if you do go to college, people can't work. Um, and what they're pursuing. So like, um, I know that we, we, you know, you were sharing that and then even just all the resources that we now see, you know, we created those resources for ourselves, like can relate to you say you're making it through and just being like, even embarrassed or like, have the audacity to ask the family like, hey, I need money. Like, we couldn't even do that. I remember those days too. when I'm just like, oh, I wish I had like a good college experience I could talk about. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I wish I would have enjoyed it more. But now looking back and hearing from you, it's like, I didn't have the privilege to do that. <laughs> you know, like I didn't. Yes, there's great times and everything. But I'm just like, 
a lot of the times I was just trying to survive and make it through and pass that class and trying to see what I what I was going to eat for dinner. You know what I mean? Like, so I can relate so much to like a lot of the challenges that you face and like the barriers. But yeah, I just wanted to say that because I was just like still thinking about it. I'm like, as an undocumented student, like I can't even picture everything. So thank you for sharing that with us. <laughs> yes, thank you so much. Well, I think our next question will focus more on your PhD program again, because I think it's very crucial, I think, for us to keep shining a light on this, because not a lot of undocumented students make it this far, unfortunately, right? So I do want to ask you, um, what are some of the funding options when pursuing a PhD program, for example? So have you been able to obtain any fellowships, any scholarships, any research grants and or loans? How are you currently accessing these sort of financial um, programs? I know it's really taboo, but we really want to hear from, you know, the people that are going through it. So like we need, Sources. we need information yeah definitely um and before I just continue I do want to also acknowledge the fact that you know many of the undocumented students or the student population some of us did receive DACA but there's many of us that still haven't had the opportunity to receive DACA Right. There's a there's a big population. And I think we're going to start to see a big rise of undocumented students coming in again to higher ed um, because DACA right now is not fully in effect. And, you know, there's certain requirements that leave students out. So I do just I am sorry. I just wanted to just kind of step back and like acknowledge you know, my, my privilege as a DACA recipient now that I, that I do have DACA and then there's a lot of students that don't have DACA, right? Um, um, and so in terms of the funding, I do want to say, and I'm always very open um, and I like to share, you know, about, you know, opportunities. Um, so for example, with P a PhD program, I want to say in many occasions, not always, the programs do offer you a fellowship. So they offer you to pay for school, right? Pay for your classes, but you have to either teach or do research. Um, for me, it was to teach to become a TA. The first year, I didn't have to be a TA um, because I was being transitioned into the program. But for year three and to, to year two to year three, I would have to TA, right? So that's how their they, mine was structured. For others, it may be structured in a way where, you know, when they come in, they already they are already expected to um, teach or do research, right? So those are the types of fellowships that are offered. Sometimes you might get um, a fellowship that you don't have to do anything. You just get it and then everything is paid for and you just go to class right um there are loans available um for many um undocumented or DACA recipients however the fe federal loans are not available to us because of our, of our immigration status 
But one thing I would encourage other students who are either undocumented or have DACA or other, um, you know, are under, you know, any other category um, to see if their institutions do have loans. In my case, I've had to take on loans. My school does offer um, the dream loan um, and I have been able to pay for or not pay, but um, they've covered my tuition and then I am expected to pay it back. Um, so there are those, um, there are loans available for, for undocumented and DACA recipients, um, you know, at the, at the UC level, particularly in, in my, uh, my institution, I would encourage others to also find out, um, and ask those questions because it's very important. Um, sometimes the programs really don't know because they're not experts, um, in, you know, you may be the first person to be um, undocumented and walk into these spaces. So that happened to me, right? There's a lot of lessons learned with me when I came into the program, even being, you know, signing the, the waiver form, right? Um, I had to redo that again because it wasn't recorded. So, you know, just a lot of, a lot of things are being learned, um, especially if you're the first person to be um, undocumented. I would also encourage students to ask if there are other undocumented students. In my case, since there wasn't anybody else and I didn't have anybody else to ask. Um, and I have asked, also had to apply to scholarships, um, you know, to supplement um, that because I will say our fellowships do not cover um, our living expenses. Yes, they do cover, right, our tuition and they give you a little bit of extra money. But in my case, I, you know, I have to pay rent. I have my daughter, right? I have to travel. And so the money that are, that is given in, in fellowships, unfortunately, it hasn't been enough. And because I'm not able to get any other type of loan except to pay for my tuition, then, you know, I've had to find for other ways to pay for myself and fund for myself. So there are scholarships also available. You would have to either ask your campus or also um, seek outside, you know, um, figure out if there's um, other scholarships for PhD students, which for education students is a little bit harder. Um, I have found, I've looked for scholarships, but there's not a lot available. Um, and so I've had to work, you know, aside from be a PhD student, I've had to work a, a part-time job, which can also, you know, I, I would caution people on this because it, it's it's hard, right? And so it comes with, you know, a, a price, right? So for me, it was, you know, I was, I was drained by the end of my second year in my PhD program um, because I was being a full-time student, right? I was TAing, um, you know, full-time, uh, you know, there's different percentages. So like I was 50%, so 50% is having three, TAing for three classes or not three classes, three sections, I'm sorry. And so it took a toll on me, right? So I had to go on at leave 
And also I want to normalize the fact that, you know, you can take an ed leave from your program because sometimes you just need it, whether it's, you know, to just regain sanity, to gain redirection because you just need the break because of your mental health, right? Or because you're just tired just in general. And, you know, I, I had my daughter, I took the ed leave when COVID was happening because it was just too much, right? And um, it took a toll on me, right? So I also want to normalize the fact that people can take at leaves and sometimes they may not seem, you know, um, good, right? But you do what you have to do in order to take care of yourself. And if you're getting permission from your institution, then it's okay. Like you can, don't feel guilty about taking these breaks. I think that for me, they were very much necessary. Um, and it also gave me a new perspective coming back into the program. Mm, thank you. So definitely add leave. I've never heard of that. Can you tell us what it means? Like what it, it stands for? So an ed leave is an education leave okay. um, that you can request from the university, from mm -hmm. your program. And usually the person that would sign off this would be like your advisor and then the dean like if it's okay for you to go on at least mind you you have to be very cautious of that because let's say you're TAing, then you would kind of have to ask for permission beforehand mm -hmm. um, so that they can prepare and have somebody else to jump in and also help TA for that because you're usually TAing for like let's say your advisor I was TAing for my advisor back then so I knew they had to find someone else right so having those working relationships making sure that you know that's commit like that you ask those questions because sometimes that's not communicated to you but um you know just i would just say that it's okay mm -hmm. to to ask to go on education leave um which gives you a break you know and in certain programs you're not able to leave more than a year because if you'd leave for more than a year then you can lose your fellowship or you can lose your status as a student. So, um, you know, just ask what are the, the guidelines or what are, you know, the rules on ed leave. I would also encourage you students to speak to other um, peers because there's some peers that know more about navigating the system that is often not talked about there's a hidden curriculum that is not talked about and so you know that's part of it you know going on that leaf you know it, it's okay um and it seemed I think like in my case it, it was seemed as like very shameful after a while but I needed the break right like life happens we're not only students we're also mothers right we're also daughters we're also taking care of other people in our families and like I said, these spaces were not meant for us. So a lot of these things are coming up because we're stepping into these spaces and they don't know how to deal with us, right? <laughs> but they have to, they have to like relearn to, to you know, this is a new way of, of being and knowing um, in, in these academic spaces. And we have to be able to make room for ourselves because they're not, gonna be made for us so we have to make it exactly oh, so definitely that. um you were able to you know make that shift 
because you were feeling so overwhelmed with life. And then, of course, with your personal, um, you know, things that you have to take care of. And it's okay to take Ed, Ed leave or leave a job that maybe is not serving you anymore. <laughs> you know, so I definitely um, relate to you in that. But it's not about me. It's about you today. So um, I definitely... Thank you for sharing that with us, because maybe a lot of listeners didn't know that, that we have the option like you shared right now. They don't tell you that it's a hidden curriculum. Yeah. Obviously, we live in a culture where it's just do, do, do work, 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 no rest, no self-care. You just you're like a robot. And that's not reality. So thank you. So I think did you want to share something? Yeah. Um. I, yes, um, I agree exactly what you said. I think like Miriam said, these spaces weren't meant for us. And so like, we're not robots and we all have, we're humans. So obviously we can't just be expected to go through this brutal program, just five years of our lives and not, and pretend like we don't have other things to do. And again, it might be a person of color thing or like, human thing but uh, there's always added stressors to you know our lives but yes thank you for sharing and then um we're concluding uh with our last question elsie yes so our last question is in terms of how you balance how you balance being a mother and of course obtaining your phd how are you balancing both of those roles that you have taken oh my goodness um what's well, been a journey um and a lot of lessons learned I became a mom in 2014 so that's a little bit before I started my master's program and I didn't know how I was gonna do it you know the program was in the evening at the time um you know I did have help you know and from my family um and so but then you know, my daughter was very young. Um, it was really hard to find child care or someone or at least someone that would care for my daughter um, in a responsible way. <laughs> I would say just because I had a very, tuve una situación muy difícil, right, with, with the child care when she was very young and I didn't have a good experience with my daughter. So I decided to like, be a, a, a mom full on <laughs> and not go to school and then you know when I decided to go to school then I did have to find care um universities usually have child care for you know children uh, you know under the age of five right um I was lucky enough after a long period of waiting I, I want to say after like two years maybe of waiting my daughter came with me to school and so she was um going to um child care at Cal State Long Beach because they do offer that for for students whether is you know um paying for it or you know subsidizing for child care um there were times where um you know I didn't have care and so I did have a conversation during my master's program with one of my professors Dr. Naina Flores about you know not having care and she's like it's okay you can bring your daughter whenever you don't have care you can bring her into class so 
that was a big lesson for me because she opened up a space for me to take in my daughter and I knew she was going to be welcome and I wasn't going to feel ashamed. And I actually did end up taking my daughter maybe, I want to say a couple of times, three or four times. But from that, I learned that, you know, it, it's okay to bring, you know, our children, right? Because they she she opened up that space. I know that it's not the same for other, you know, other universities, other professors, other programs, right? But I was lucky enough to be in this program and with to be with Dr. Naina Flores because she taught me a lot about having a space that's inclusive um, to bring your whole self in, you know? And for me, it was also being a mom. Um, and she opened up a space for, for my daughter. Um, and so from that, I learned that I needed to be more outspoken about who I was as a mom, especially coming into the PhD program. Um, and when I came into the program, I was like, listen, as you know, um, because I had already shared that I was undocumented, I was, I'm undocumented, I do have DACA, right? But I'm also a mom. And, you know, it, it's really, it's really hard for me to sometimes find care, right? Um, and she, they were, they were okay with it. I even brought my daughter in with me, you know, to, to meet with the professor, um, and let them know. And she met my daughter, right? So, um, it's been, it's been challenging, right? Um, but I do want to say that there are resources available if your child is under five, you know, where they, the school does provide child care however there is might be a wait list um so you want to you know get on those wait lists even if you don't know if you might um need it or not just get on the wait list right because you never know in the long run and I didn't do that at the beginning but I did it once I was in school and it took me two years to you know have my daughter in in child care at Long Beach now that she's older though we have transition, right? Like now she goes, she's in third grade. She's going to go into fourth grade now. Um, they grow up so fast, right? So she's been yes. in this journey with me. Um, so she's in fourth grade now. She goes to school, but sometimes she has to stay in the after school program, right? And I do have to make sure, like, for example, I have to time myself and say, hey, if she's in school from this time to this time, then I have to make sure that I get my work done between this time and this time because I need to make sure I have to pick I pick her up after school. But because I do travel about an hour to get to school, sometimes when I go to school, then I have my mom or her dad picks her up um, from the after school program. So it's a constant juggling, right? Figuring out, um, organizing myself, um, because essentially, essentially, I'm the um, the the main person that takes care of my daughter, and so I kind of have to figure out my schedule and figure out her schedule in order to make sure that she's taken care of. Um, you know, whether it's me, whether it's my family, my mom, my sister, or her dad, right? Um, so it's a constant uh, or an ongoing thing for me um, that I have to learn to balance. Um, and now, you know, because she's in school, it's a little bit better because she's in school, you know, 
you know, the, the, the whole morning, but then she also stays in, in the after school program, uh, which is very, very helpful for me because if I do have to travel back from um, the school to pick up my daughter, I do have enough time to pick her up in the afternoon. Um, you know, and so it's just making sure, I think I've learned to kind of surrender and be like it's okay I know things are gonna change and it's not gonna be perfect so I have to roll with the punches because things always come up or like let's say you know she's gotten sick and like I can't TA right or I can't go to work right or I have things to do and I really can't because I have to take care I think reminding myself that it's okay and Things are always going to be changing. They're in a constant, um, you know, changing because of life. You know, life happens to us, right? Or, you know, and so it's just yeah. challenging. And I think I've learned that from, from when she was very young, just kind of let go. And it gets frustrating because sometimes there's deadlines or things that are due, but I, you can't do anything about it at some point. Um, you can cry about it which I have right <laughs> you can get frustrated um, which I've been there many many times but um, just knowing that at the end of the day it's gonna pay off um, it's and it's gonna be worth it then it's kind of the drive for me and like making sure that she's okay I'm doing this not only for myself but also for her and knowing that it's gonna be okay and we're gonna be done soon so um just knowing and reassuring my daughter because we do have conversations about mommy not being here many times right because I have to go to school or sometimes I have to travel to a conference right um and so I'm not I don't have the privilege of you know taking her with me but you know just she's getting older she's nine now but you know, I, I think I'm having more of those conversations and she knows that it's not going to be forever. And, you know, like we're doing this for uh, to be in a better space later in our lives. Oh, my God. Thank you, Mira, for sharing. I know that's very like emotional and I can relate as a mother. You're doing your best. And oh, my God, you've done so much as a mother, as just, you know, who you are as a person. Um but she's going to be proud of you. And I'm sure she already is. And she has you as a role model. Imagine all the amazing things she's going to do. So you're doing great to be proud of yourself. We are proud of you. Girl, <laughs> so we're very proud. Thank you, <laughs> thank you for sharing. To see you at the stage. <laughs> yes. Graduation party. It is. Voy a tirar la la casa por la ventana. I graduate. I mean, once you're done with the PhD, yeah, like you've done it all, girl. Yeah. So, um, you know, say hi to your daughter for us. And so um, I'm sure she's a smarty pants like her mama. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you so much for answering all of our questions and for joining our podcast today. We really appreciate it. And we have learned so much about you and of course um you inspired me you know to continue pursuing my educational journey because I also want to get my PhD so thank you 
for that. <laughs> yes. Thank and you. <laughs> did you want to uh, say any last words, anything? Any shout outs? No, well, thank you. Thank you, ladies, for offering this space. I think just in general, the, the shout outs, honestly, I have a long list. I have a lot of people that have helped me just throughout my life. You know, I couldn't have done it without any like of those persons. Um, and so it, I have a very, very long list, you know, and, and my way of um, paying it forward is just to continue to be um, in these spaces. And like I said, not be a gatekeeper, but a gate opener. And how can I be of service to students? So I always ask students, like, how can I help you? How can I support you? Um, you know, as a TA and moving forward also as, you know, just um, it, once I continue on and become a professor, you know, continue to continue on with that same pedagogy, right? Like of service, of, you know, um, being a, a gate opener for others. Um, and then just kind of bring up, like I was told a very long time when I, when I was um, in high school, like we're like a trenza. So like you're braiding, your your own path but at the same time you want to bring others along the way with you so as I'm achieving you know these milestones I'm also remembering to bring others along the way with us because we can't do it alone the table is not big enough for all of us but we have to create more space for us in other ways and that's what I you know what I'm continuing to do like how can we be in other spaces where you know we can also make impact in the life of students um because the way our education system is it's failing our students it is essentially doing what it's supposed to be doing right which is not getting everybody through and graduating and educating um students and preparing students for life um so it's essentially doing what it's, it was meant to do but we have to be able to recreate what and reimagine what education spaces can look like and and it, it's oftentimes well beyond the ivory tower right or our institutions education institutions so learning does happen you know outside outside of these spaces so i think this is one of them right the one that you're creating right here for others um, to talk about things that are not talked about in, you know, our classes or in our, you know, education institutions. So this is one of them. So I just want to thank you um, and encourage others to, you know, ask questions and, you know, seek for help. Um, and when you do have encounter, you know, those answers share with others when you encounter people that do help you, you know, stay with those people, but then also you become that person and you help others as well. Exactly. Thank you so much. And of course, we have to always pay it forward, you know, whenever we succeed, whenever we uh, accomplish a goal, you know, we need to help those that have also helped us be where we are at today. So with that, we're going to end the podcast episode. Thank you so much for, for just being here and for allowing us to share your story. All right. Thank you.